We've been, uh, we've been talking a lot the last few weeks about imagining something bigger uh, than we have before as a church and really imagining what we can do as a collective body of believers to touch our community and continue to do ministry and expand ministry uh, through the church. And uh, next weekend is uh, going to be our Commitment Sunday. Or we're going to sit down and say, you know, as a, as a family, as, as, as one body, we're going to do something extraordinary. We're going to do something spectacular that will touch literally a nation in the world. Um, and there's been so many things in the last number of weeks. And we talked about what we do in missions and what the television program means and uh, land and paying down our present debt. All of those things. Uh, if you can see the thousands and thousands and thousands of, of testimonies and letters uh, that we get through the year um, from television. Television for from the overseas uh, missions work that you do as a church. Um, it's incredible. It's mind blowing uh, what really happens from a little city in northeastern Wisconsin uh, and this great church. And uh, so we're just excited about the future of Bayside and where the church is heading and what you're going to be doing uh, will be an incredible testimony uh, to really God's uh, grace, mercy, uh, and unbelievable power as uh, you touch and then reach a city. And so we want you to be praying and getting ready, uh, really getting your hearts prepared for what you're going to do in the next 12 months. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Um, and we're so thrilled that uh, we're going to stay connected enough to still be a part of it, even on a, a small scale. So, uh, but it's just, we're so looking forward to the future and uh, what God has for all of us. Amen. Um, we have a, you are in for a real, real treat. Um, I've sat through two services, and I'm really considering sitting through a third. Uh, he's been so good. Uh, but uh, Mark's uh, much younger and better looking uh, brother, Pastor Ed. Uh, why don't you come share with us this morning? Uh, it's been brilliant. Give him a great hand as he comes. Why don't you stand with me this morning? It's a delight to be up here in the north. I pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and quite honestly, all this southern stuff makes you sick. No, it's wonderful to be here. I grew up in Wisconsin, so I'm among my family. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your kindness and your goodness in our lives. And we are trusting you today to speak to us and to mess with our hearts and to do stuff in us that needs to be done. We're trusting you. We are your people. We're the sheep of your pasture. This is your house. And God, our lives are yours. And so we ask you to speak to us in a very significant and meaningful way so that we can continue to resound yes in our souls as we follow you. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen? Why don't you go ahead and be seated. I uh, generally, when I do messages, I, um, I, I always try to, you know, when I'm facing a Sunday morning thing or going out and speaking, I always try to, to get a bead in my soul on what it is that I feel like I'm supposed to do. And different people do that different ways. But the way I kind of do it is I, I go into a quieter moment, a prayerful moment, and I'll start sort of dialoguing or, you know, trying to talk about it with God. And I'll think in my mind about, well, I could go this direction, I could go this direction. And as I'm throwing it out there, I'm waiting to see what'll sort of pop up a little in the thoughts as I'm thinking them. Almost like those of you that have had children or your grandparents, you know, you have those little things, those little jack-in-the-box gizmos, you know, where the little jack-in-the-box or the little clown is stuck in there with a spring deal and you're going, pop, you know, so I kind of do that. I start thinking through subjects in my mind over and over. I try this, I try that, and pop, there's the one I'm supposed to do, I think. So, 
it's not exactly an exact science, but uh, I try to do that. And so when I was coming here, I was trying to sort through in my soul, and I thought I was onto a little bit of a bead. And I came here last night, and uh, I spoke uh, on the Saturday night service. And and when I right before I started speaking, I felt in sort of a nudge in my heart. A uh, little pop thing going on in my heart about change, to talk about change. And I thought, oh, that's so silly. They all know they're going through change. Founding pastors leaving, new guys coming in, you know, all this stuff's going on. And what does it mean? I mean, this has got to be me, right? So I sort of pushed it out and, and I got up and I did my talk. And, and I'm sort of plowing through half the message thinking, okay, I've got to get this out. But in the inside, I was thinking, oh, I should have gone this other direction. And uh, then last night when I got home, or not home, to the hotel, and uh, uh, I'm sitting there. I just felt just compelled in my heart to change my message. So I did. I worked late last night. I got it set up. Uh, Pastor Mark didn't ask me to preach. He just needed the Pastor Arnie. Uh, this is just something that is either the Lord or possibly acid reflux. <laughs> so I'm not trying to meddle. But I, I, I feel like I need to talk to you about this. So uh, life is full of seasons. I mean, the reality is if you just stand in one place, the world is constantly changing around you. You go from, from summer to fall to winter, really long hair, and then back to spring, and then summer and fall, blah, blah, blah. And things are changing. And Ecclesiastes, the scripture says in chapter 3 and verse 1, starting in verse 1, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down. A time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones, and a time to get them back up again. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embrace. A time to search, a time to give up searching. A time to to, uh, keep, and a time to throw stuff away. A time to tear, a time to mend, a time to be silent. A time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What he's really just saying is there are different times, different seasons, different times when different things are appropriate and other things are not appropriate and vice versa. The only thing that really never changes in our world, because we're time travelers and we walk into time and the Christian philosophy of time is very different than the pagans used to have. We don't see time as just a repeating thing. We see time as something that God is creating. Every moment creates and then the past deconstructs and we walk through this thing called time. And if there's anything that's true about time, the very nature of time implies change. And so we, we, because life is full of change all around us, that's the, really the only thing that never changes is change. Change will come. Now you and I can either fear change or resist change, or we can embrace it. (laughs) But the bottom line is change is coming, baby. It is inevitable. Um, My wife, Gail, uh, of 30 years this year, um, we're we're facing the reality of this ominous emptiness. We've had four kids. Two of them are married. Two older sons are married. One is out of high school in college over in Michigan. And our baby daughter, uh, who's still in high school, she turned 18 on Friday night. And, uh, you know, my wife is crying and I'm dancing. <laughs> but <laughs> there is life after children, methinks. And I'm sort of hoping the dog will die. But, <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> his name is Frank. 
He's going to go to hell. Frank's going to go to hell. Some dogs might go to heaven. Frank's not going to heaven. But, you know, I've teased with that. But the reality is, this stuff messes with me. And it messes with my wife because what does it mean? How do we adjust? You know, sometimes the silence in your home when you raised a whole family is deafening. Right? So how do you deal with it? I mean, the reality is change comes. Sometimes we, we have change in jobs, change in, in, in school systems, where if you move with your children, change in location, change in leadership, like you're facing here. How do you navigate through that? Sometimes we, we have changes in friendship. Sometimes we get real close to a, a, a person, and then we start drifting from that person, and things change up. Uh, and, and even though change can be very, very disconcerting and can throw us, uh, that doesn't mean it isn't God. And so I want to talk with you this morning. I want to give you, I want to give you seven things. They'll be quick. Seven things that, that you should consider every time you come up against a change in your life. Certainly the major changes in your life. The first one is always pray in the middle of change. Always, especially the major ones that are in your life. Why? Because you need to make sure that your response is right. Because as things start to change around you, I love the text in Psalms where the psalmist says, I don't care if the mountains are falling and the earthquakes are you know, shaking the world and the oceans are foaming and all this craziness is going on. He says, God, you're still God. There's this essence of when you pray in the midst of change, it helps you remember the eternal. It helps you remember that, that he is the only one who is changeless is God. And so you need to pray so that you're not influenced by the disappointment that sometimes change can bring or the anger that can happen in you as a result of change or the reaction of others. Sometimes others don't react well to, to change and that re, uh, the bad reaction can get off on you. Or sometimes just the fear that change can kind of engender in your soul. You don't want to be, you don't want to be influenced by that. Your response to change ought to be in your heart hopeful because whenever change comes, there's always hope for the future, but it can often be overshadowed by the sense of of loss. Grief sets in. And her book entitled uh, On Death and Dying, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross laid out these five steps that people go through when they hear the catastrophic news in their life. You know, something like a doctor telling you, you're going to die in six weeks. That'll mess with you. Right? Uh, Or your founding pastor is leaving. Right? Later, health professionals and clergy sort of took those five steps uh, that people go through when they hear bad news to becoming five steps that people walk through uh, in, about grief. Even though Kubler-Ross didn't intend that, uh, she was observing the reactions that people have when they first hear news of, of, of change that's dramatic in their lives. And she said, the first stage when you hear, bad, or hear news that'll change your life uh, is you think it's denial. You think, this can't be really happening. Uh, it's just a bad dream, right? And then the second step is anger, where you say, well, why? Why us? Why now? Things seem like they've been going so well. I mean, uh, this isn't fair. And then the third step, she said, is, is people try to bargain, you know. Uh, isn't there something we can do to, to keep this from, from going this direction? I mean, don't we have any chips we can kind of put into the pile and, you know, just kind of change this? Can't we change something that will make it not change or do something to make it not change? We try to bargain, trying to keep things the way they are. The fourth thing is when you realize that's not working is depression. Where you go, oh God, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? What's, what's the use? Nothing's going to stay the same. I don't know what we're going to do. It's just dark, dark. And then the fifth stage, if you walk through all these, is finally 
acceptance. Where you say, okay, what's done is done. Let's make the best of this now. Let's just move into the future proactively. That, that is a good thing. See, denial and anger and bargaining and depression are all perfectly normal responses to significant news of change. It's okay to get ticked off. It's okay to be depressed about it. It's okay to be scared about stuff. But what isn't normal is if you stay stuck and refuse to move to acceptance. For believers... We can't get stuck in denial and anger, bargaining, depression. We can't get stuck in that stuff because we're believing God's involved in this. Right? All right, so that's number one. Number two, beware of comparisons in the middle of change. Don't try to compare the positive aspects of the place that you've been with anything of the change that hits you in a negative way. Because when things start to change, it's really easy to let the past become bigger. Nostalgia makes the past wonderful. In fact, more wonderful than it really was. I, I was telling in the first service, I, uh, not too many years ago, I, I was remembering, and I had remembered all my life as a kid, I used to love these pot pies, the frozen pot pies, you know, that you used to buy in the store. You know? and, and I would put those in as a kid. I loved those things. They were like, they were like delicious to me. And the further I got away from them, the more I remembered how delicious they were. And so one day I told my wife, honey, I haven't had, you know, Gail's a great cook and I'm enjoying her food as you <clears throat> can tell. And, um, but uh, I remember when I said, honey, I want to buy one of these, these pot pies, you know, they're only like two bucks or something. You know? pot, the pot pie brought it home, stuck it in the oven. I'm anticipating, right? Got that thing on. I put that first bite in my mouth. I go, what, what is this? It isn't nearly as wonderful as I thought it was. As I remembered it was. See, we tend to do that with the past. Especially things that helped us. Especially things that that were meaningful to us. We lock into them. And sometimes when change comes and it isn't done exactly that way or it's altered in some way, what is going on? Right? There's a great story in the Bible. This is uh, uh, (laughs) uh, with the children of Israel. Remember, they, they, uh, they got in trouble they were picked up out of, out of uh, Israel, shipped off to Babylon. They're there for years and years and years. And finally they start coming back. And when they were gone, the whole temple was completely destroyed. And when they came back, there were a lot of the older priests and a lot of the older family members remembered the old temple. It was a glorious temple. I mean, it was so sweet. And the Bible said they came back and they're doing the, just the foundation of the new temple that they're building. And so they all gather together because the foundation's been laid. They haven't built a building yet. They just put the foundation in. And, and they all gather together to praise the Lord. And we pick up the narrative right there. In Ezra 3, 10, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments, they're blowing trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, the king of Israel, with praise. And thanks they're giving to God. They sing to the Lord. He is good. Lord, you are good. He's good. And his love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But watch. Many of the older priests, many of the older Levites, all of the family heads that had been there since the beginning, you know, hanging. They'd seen the former, temp- the former temple. They wept out loud when they saw this new temple, the one that was being laid. While others shouted for joy, they were crying 
No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. So here you have people going, yes, this is awesome. And people are going, oh, this is awful. Right? Same house. See, comparison will keep you out of rejoicing. Some of the folks here love the past more than what was going to come. And that's very natural to do that. But we have, desi- we have got to decide if we're going pro- to flow through change well and to get what God's doing in our midst. We've got to decide to always be for things. I mean, even if you have to search for something to be for, you need to be for it. I mean, find something good to say about the people in your life. Find something good to say about change in your life. I mean, even if, even if you meet a guy and you know he's an axe murderer, just maybe he's got nice eyes. Number three, sometimes people uh, will talk with you and influence you negatively about change. So when you're going through change, especially as you're doing it as a group, it's very important to watch what you say and watch who you're being influenced by. When we were in Wisconsin, we, I grew up really here, and I was pastoring in Marshfield, Wisconsin for 17 years. I was there in 1997, we left. And when we were sharing with the people as we were getting ready to leave, I mean, it was a huge deal. I was the founding pastor there. And, uh, uh, you know, we, Gil and I cried about it, and then we got together with the elders, and they all cried about it. Are you sure? Are you sure we should do this? I said, I had a feeling we need to do this. And everybody was in disarray. People, when we shared with them, they were crying, what's going to happen? Everybody had been happy. There was nothing, I mean, we had been there so long, we thought we'd always be there. And, but God had a different idea. And, and here's the thing, what we don't understand is that sometimes God leads us to do things that offend other people at the time. Sometimes God will tell, I mean, it's like, why don't you just leave it alone, Lord? Because it's good. But sometimes God will just shake it up and it can be very taxing on our souls, especially if you're a peace-loving person. You do not want to rock the boat and here comes God. You're going, whoa, this, this can't be God. You got people falling off into the water. <clears throat> Tsunami for Christ. Matthew 16, this is Jesus talking with the disciples and he's telling them, explaining to them the vision. What's the vision, Jesus? Jesus began to explain that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of the elders, chief chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day to be raised to life. Imagine following someone whose vision was to die. So they loved Jesus. And you remember there was other times the disciples would say, we're not going to let anything happen to you. They loved the master. They had thoughts that he was going to change the whole world and break Roman rule. I mean, their whole minds were going, this is sweet. We're in there with Jesus. He does miracles. Watch out, Rome. Right? And so Peter takes Jesus aside after he's saying he's going to die and everybody's going to reject him. And Peter says, and began to rebuke Jesus. (laughs) There's an idea. Never, Lord, Peter says to Jesus, stop this negative confession. This shall never happen to you. Now, you understand Peter just loves Jesus. He does not want Jesus talking about dying. And yet, watch Jesus' response. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Watch. 
He says, you are a stumbling block to me. For you do not have in your mind the things of God, but you have in your mind the things of people. See, one of the things that happens in change is sometimes we forget that God might be in this. And we start thinking, well, this isn't what I'd prefer, and this, isn't, this doesn't feel right, and I don't think that, this, you know, what is going to happen? And our human interests start pushing off God's interests. Jesus said, that's what Satan is behind, that he tries to get us to think that this whole thing is about just human effort. That it's a human-centered reality. But what if it isn't? What if we're part of something bigger than us? What if this is the kingdom of God? What if we're the body of Christ? And what if God just likes to change things every once in a while just to freak us out? (laughs) Just to see if we really trust him. What if? See, if we're not careful, we'll resist God's will because of how it affects us and our personal preferences. <laughs> I mean, there's a, right in this context, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 10 and 34. He says, do you suppose that I only come so that everybody can be happy? That everything's perfect? He said, no. He said, I've come, I didn't come to just come to bring peace. I came not to bring peace, but sometimes I come with a sword. He said, for I've come sometimes to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Not because they're being mean and aggravated with each other, but because God sometimes asks people to do things that freak out other people. And what he's after, the currency he's after in that kind of an enterprise is will you obey him? Do you love God more than people? Or are you so locked into people that you won't dare follow God? Jesus said, anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who doesn't take up his cross, who isn't willing to say, this isn't about me, but I'm going to follow Jesus. If you don't do that, you're not worthy of him. Because Jesus said, if you find your life, if you hold on to everything, you don't want anything to ever change, you will lose your life. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find life. Let me say it again. If you're not careful, you'll resist God's will because of how it affects people and your personal preferences. Lots of parents keep their kids out of the will of God. Because sometimes they'll say... You know, well, we just want you to be around here. We just, we just want to be near you. Or, and, and, and sometimes kids don't want to rock the boat or don't want to push off and, and not understanding that if we're not careful, we've always got to put, we've always got to make sure we say, listen, we'd love for you to be with us. We'd love for you to do that. But you know what? We want you more to obey the Lord. And if you don't have parents like that, you need to obey them even if they get ticked off. I mean, when you, when guys and gals, when you get married, some of you are not married. If you get married, if you choose to be married, you know, you start a, 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 a relationship, a family. There'll be times when your parents will get, you know, invasive into your lives. And sometimes you just need to, especially, you just need to say, look it. Stop. You know, if you've got, my mother, very matriarchal, the first couple years of my marriage, she was still trying to stay connected to me. I said, mother, what do you not understand? A man shall leave his father and his mother. Get a clue. (laughs) Did you say, didn't she get mad? She wouldn't talk to me for two years. So I was at the Lord, honey, listen, if you don't set up your life and you don't just decide to obey God, no matter who it separates you from or associates you with, you will be stuck and never fulfill the will of God in your life. We need to listen, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of 
people. Let's obey God. Ed Cole wrote concerning transition, quote, remember this, when it is time to leave wherever you are, that, that that'll be always, there'll be people that will always want you to stay. The desire will most often be based on personal feelings, personal sentiment. When God is moving you out of one place to bring you to another, you cannot allow yourself to be deceived into making a decision to stay based on sentiment instead of truth, end quote. See, we have to look past emotions and focus on what God has said and move forward, which brings me to number four. When change starts, (laughs) make sure you're ready to forgive because it's guaranteed when change starts, it's going to take you off. We do not like change. Forgiveness means to send it away, to just send it away. And, you know, something might be changed in a service. Something might be changed in how you do things. Something might, I mean, whatever. Just by the fact that you're founding pastors and standing up here every Sunday, it can offend you. If you're not careful, you get offended. And listen, family, listen to me. You get offended by change and something in your heart will close. Offense. In fact, the word offense, it's, it's like the trigger of a trap. The word Jesus uses when he talks about offense, it's like a trigger of a trap, like when an animal goes into a trap and triggers it and it gets trapped. That little lever is offense. You get offense and you'll get trapped. You'll be in the cage. You can't go anywhere. You'll think nothing's happening. You won't be able to receive from God. I had a guy come to me years ago. I sat in my office, wanted to have an appointment. I sat down with him. He's a tender in our church in Marshfield. And he looked at me and said, Pastor Ed, you've lost the anointing. And I thought to myself, I thought I was doing pretty good right about then. <laughs> he said, you've lost the anointing. And I remember I, I, I kind of quizzed in my head. I thought, well, you know, what's going on? And I felt this impression, you've offended him, which, which was completely off the track. I thought, well, what does that have to do with anything? But I said to him, I said, have I offended you in some way? And he looked down. So I dug into it differently, and he had heard something that wasn't true, that I had said some things that I didn't say. So we got that all resolved. What amazed me was I got all anointed again. (laughs) Listen, if you get offended, you will not be able to receive God's presence in this house anymore. You'll think, well, the Lord isn't there. He's not there like he used to be there. Maybe you got trapped. Don't get trapped. Choose to forgive Thank God. See, particularly when change comes to us that we didn't choose, change comes as being forced on us, it's easy to find faults. It's easy to find problems in the new situation. And what you need to do is always enter change with forgiveness in your heart toward everyone and everything in advance. And when things actually do change, particularly in a family setting, like a church is a family setting, you can get some pretty sleepless nights, get a little angry, get a little hurt, but you've got to decide to let it go, to send it away, and to forgive. Right? Let it go. Number five. Trust God in the midst of change to protect you. Why do I say that? Because in times of transition, folks that you thought were for you or for the house or for the situation that you're in can become very cruel. I was... uh, uh, going to school in, in Marshfield, Wisconsin, when I was uh, just graduating high school, I, I grew up in Neilsville. <laughs> oh. Anyway, um, so I grew up in Neilsville, and I'm driving back and forth every day to college over in Marshfield at the University of Wisconsin there. And um, uh, so on the way home one night, I'm pulling over uh, this little county road, and right in front of me, as I come over the, 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 the brim of the hill, right in front of me is a little cat. 
And I brake for animals, so I hit my brakes and boom, I hit the, I hit the cat. Now he was, I had a little Volkswagen and he, you know, sadly for him, he looked up, you know. So I hit, I hit him. And uh, so I pulled over right away and I went to see if I killed him and I didn't kill him, but I sure dazed him. I mean, he's looking at me like this, he's doing this. Sure he had a headache. But uh, so I thought I'll take him to a vet. I mean, it's late at night, but I started saying, come here, kitty, kitty, kitty. And as I started to move toward him, he got all weird on me. (sighs) He started hissing, you know, doing weird stuff at me and doing like this. and, And he looked like he had demons <laughs> and he darted into the cornfield and so I it, it freaked me out how he responded I mean it was like demonic to me it just like scared me kind of and I remember I was chattering with one of my friends after this event and I was telling him man it was so weird this cat did this and I explained what happened and he said to me you know wounded animals never act right And I remember thinking about that story when I was in another situation where I was dealing with a person who was deeply wounded and they were doing the demon thing at me. And I realized that neither do wounded humans act right. See, sometimes when you get in change and people get hurt, don't just assume that everybody's acting right. People sometimes act like hurt cats when change hits them. Maybe they're just reacting to the change themselves. You know, maybe they're, they can only process change by emotionally blaming, you know, perhaps they just feel better about themselves by pushing, you know, putting the situation they're in down or whatever. Just you decide to be big enough to love people, love where you are and leave the rest in God's hands. Give everything to God because the devil would love to get in the middle of a God led transition and trash the good that's potentially there. The devil would love to do that. Always walk through change with praise and encouragement on your lips and don't listen to naysayers, which leads me to number six. In the middle of change, connect with God's sovereignty. How many believe God's still sovereign? How many, how many think that God's probably not going, oh, myself, what am I going to do? <laughs> right? When we start moving through transition in our lives, things can get rocky. We get this anxiety about the separation of the past and we have future anxiety. What is this going to mean? But here's the point. Trust that just as God has led you from where you have been to this spot, that God will lead you to where you're going. How many are glad that God's got you here? Huh? He got, I mean, think of, think of how you got here. Think of what he's done in your life. Is he now just going to abort all that? See, it may seem like God hides himself at times. There's a verse in Isaiah 45 and 15 that says, For God's truly a God who hides himself. Sometimes he tucks away. He hides and then he calls us to what? To seek him. He hides. We seek. How many of you ever played that? Hide and seek. Right? He's the one that came up with that deal. He's the one that originated the game. Remember that, that, that you have got... That some of the best stuff that God has ever done in our lives was done in secret. And then we were surprised by them. How many of you have had surprises in your life that you didn't expect? Some of the biggest things that have happened that God's done for you have been total surprises. Who would have guessed it? Who would have thunk it? But it happened. And when it did it, you're going, see, what if God, what if God is doing some stuff right now that you just don't know about yet? There's a cool story. In, in the Bible, it's, it's about Ruth, the book of Ruth. And honestly, you know, I love the story. Uh, but one of the reasons I love it is because when you read it, it's kind of boring. I mean, her, this Ruth is this, you know, 
a pagan girl and she uh, ends up marrying a Jewish guy and, and uh, he, her, but her Jewish husband dies and then she connects with her mother-in-law Naomi and uh, uh, you know sort of hangs with her and ends up leaving uh, where they're in their pagan land and they're going to Israel and, and that's where the famous comment from Ruth is your God is my God your people are my people that whole thing we do in marriage this wasn't about marriage it's about a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law hanging but uh, she ends up marrying some burly old guy uh, who was nice, but he was old and burly, right? Wasn't exactly romantic. And so she marries for principle. She doesn't marry because she's in love in a Western sense. She marries because it's the right thing to do. And Boaz is nice to her and she gets married. And, and then she dies without fanfare. As you read the book, you know, there's a couple of kind of pretty quotes. But you've got to be honest. You've got to say, why a book? In the Bible, on Ruth. But as you get to the end of the last couple of verses, watch this, it sort of surprises you like God surprises us. Ruth 4, it says, Boaz, the old burly guy, took Ruth. She became his wife and, and they, they, he went into her and the Lord enabled them to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And then the women said to the grandma, Naomi, Naomi, praise be the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel and he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than a thousand, or seven sons, not a thousand, seven sons, has given him birth, right? And then Naomi, the grandma, takes the child and she lays him in her lap and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And then it says, and they named him... Obed, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And all of a sudden you go, the father of David. No Ruth, no David. Jesus said in Revelation 22, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bur- the bright morning star see what if what if Ruth's obedience to God the personal sacrifice that she made leaving her family leaving her world leaving her culture walking in the middle of the belly of change sacrificially giving herself and her life for her mother-in-law and this old guy What if God was in all of that and it messed with her personal preferences? But she was doing it, not because she even got it. Maybe she never got it. She was dead before the got it got there. And three generations later is born David, who becomes the very king that the whole of the kingdom is based on. A foreigner come Israelite. Willing to be changed. See, what if, what if you guys obeying God in this whole matter? What if Pastor Arnie obeying God in that whole matter? What if this ends up being about people three generations from today? What, what, what if we won't get exactly why now? But, but if we just decide to submit ourselves to God and the circumstances that we're in, because we're believing that he's sovereign... I mean, God told Abraham, he said, I want you to follow me. And Abraham goes, where? And then God says to him, to a place called there. (laughs) Well, where's there? I'll tell you when you get there. 
See, what if, what's the vision? What are we going to do? Who knows? But you'll know when you get there. And then number seven, last thing. In the midst of in the midst of change, decide to act on principles, not feelings. That's not easy to do that, but it's critical that you do it because you need to act on the principles of obedience to God and respect what He's doing around us. Trust that He's even doing it. That if it's not God, it'll be revealed that it's not God, and that what is God will remain. That what's not God will be shaken away and that which is of God will remain. That we're his people. That we're the sheep of his pasture. This isn't our pasture. This isn't our story. We're not the ones producing, directing, or writing the story. We're simply actors on the stage. He's the one that produces, directs, and writes this deal. And we're just saying whatever, wherever, whenever, with whomever. Yes, I'm glad to be in it. I'll be the tree in the corner. (laughs) You've got to act in your heart to decide not to be tossed back and forth when you focus on feelings. That's what happens because sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. Your feelings are fickle. Your feelings are fleeting. Decide to steady yourself by acting on the principles of God's word. Focus on the weightier things. Not, well, what this and how come this and why are we changing that like this? And where's it going this and why that's that over there and who's that? Right? But you stop and you say, God, I want to obey you. I want to respect your people in this house. I want to be patient. It means I can suffer without complaining. Oh, oh, oh there's an idea. I want to be kind, which means you're solicitous. It means that you're, you're given to do favors. I want to be walking in love. I want everything in my life to be based on you because when it's based on God, it's solid. I mean, anything in your life that really matters from your home to your finances, it'll only start firming up when you stop acting on feelings and, and you stop responding to circumstances and you just decide to stand squarely on God's word and do what God has said. Isn't that true? Right? So change, it's not usually easy. But... If you don't change when God calls for change, it's going to be harder on you. Just decide to obey God and let him lead you through change no matter what, no matter who it separates you from, no matter who it associates you with. Just decide to obey God. I am done meddling. Grace to all of you.